Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long. Welcome to the X Factor, the podcast for leaders by leaders. Today, I'm speaking with Robert Jordan, the uh, the author of Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career. Hi, Bob. How are you today? I'm doing great, Stephen. Thanks so much for uh, having me on your show. It's certain. No, it's certainly my pleasure. So, uh, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? I run a company. My day job is running a company called Interim Execs. We are matchmakers. Organizations show up and we help with leadership needs, CEO, CFO, stuff in the C-suite. And that's what led to doing the book, Right Leader, Right Time. We have this kind of ringside seat to seeing great leadership in action. And we also saw the other side, which are all these thousands of executives who were not performing well. And we we it, it, we saw these glaring differences, and we thought, gee, we got to write about this. We 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 could put out some good information, especially for younger leaders. Okay, so what can uh, you know? What, what can our listeners expect to learn from reading the book? Our goal is is more both self discovery, in terms of how are you wired with what we call leadership style. Mm-hmm. That successful leaders have a particular approach and system and process, and as well to point out some of the minefields, some of the ways in which many leaders do not succeed as well as they could. You know, like a career derailer. Yes. Yeah. You know, my derail is a great word because we at one point put out something about we call the three D's: delusion, dilution, and detours. Yeah. Derailing would would be absolutely right in there with those D's. Okay, yeah my my dad was a um, corporate HR guy for most of his career. He spent the last uh, ten to fifteen years uh, owning his own and running his own executive search firm. Uh, but you know, for the first thirty years of career, he was in HR, and he would just come home and tell stories at the dinner table, and you know, just have a a dichotomy of, you know, who who are really good leaders and who are really bad leaders, uh, and he, he would just be so excited to talk about you know the really good leaders, but he would he would just get so frustrated, and it, it was it, it was part of the times because you know uh, you know HR execs and and even the um, executives themselves didn't have access to the kind of tools and information, you know, that, that people have now. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, was your process more of excitement or more of frustration? Oh, that's a great question. I, man, that's a wonderful question. I, it's almost equal measures that, that may be wimping out of it. Well, part of it, the frustration, if you looked at the sheer numbers, we, we launched interim execs, what became interim execs 14 years ago. We failed at it for six years. We didn't have the right model. Uh-huh. We finally figured out that if you just look at the top one or 2%, get to know and trust those executives, we called that group the red team, interim execs red team. It stands for rapid executive deployment. Okay. You talk about the bottom 95%. They had these, these same losing traits, if you will, which which were really in a way trying to be all things to all people. None of us are successful at it. 
it was not apparent to most of these executives they were doing it, but that frustration was the majority event, which was kind of like, oh my God, there are so many people out there that just don't get it. And they're having adequate careers, but they're absolutely not knocking it out of the park. They're not. Mm-hmm. And and yet, if you just look at the top one or two percent, there were these clear four different distinct leadership styles that were in play. And leaders are all a combination of the four, but one of them tended to be dominant. And we thought that's the thing to write about. There were also commonalities among these these four different types of leadership style. But to your question, I'd say a lot of frustration, but also some relief, which is there really are great people out there. Yeah. And it it just kind of shows you where, you know, uh, according to your observations, that there's so much untapped human capital out there that, yeah, they're, you know, they're not getting as much out of their career as they could. But the, you know, the leaders and, you know, just not the C-suite, but also the the board of directors, they, they, they have no idea the amount of human capital that could be tapped to help, you know, provide value, for, you know, for their company. You're, you're hundred percent right. And it, I, I, it, it sparks me thinking about the broader point, which is there are so many forms of human genius and, and my only background, you know, is, is around business and leadership, but it is in a way such a small little set of what makes for human accomplishment. You, know, you for example, your background originally as a football coach. Yeah. Well, there, there's, there's, there's just genius across so many different forms of human excellence. Part of having worked around leaders for a long time, I got to tell you, is, is an idea which is get over yourselves. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's a level of, of adulation that we now have primarily because we we celebrate celebrity and anybody who gets successful they get a lot of money so now there's a lot of jealousy and envy which is going on um but but they're they're also we should put it all in perspective which is um it's it's only one limited slice of human excellence i think a lot of it comes out of you know at school there's a very narrow way in the academic sense that we're all measured that does not apply to most of what is human genius. Mm-hmm. Be curious for your take on that. Well, it, it, it's one of the um, uh, invalid objections that business leaders will uh, will present is that well, we're different here. Well, good for you, but I got news for you: your your people aren't different. You're no different, right? <laughs> people are people, and you just happen to be in this spot in this chair at this time right, with this company. But in, in in the collection of things, no, there, there's really not a whole lot of, uh, you know, difference within you and among you is that whether you like it or not, particularly when it comes from a research standpoint, you're pretty much around, you're probably around the mean, right? Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if I was a betting man, I would say you're probably around the mean. Why? Because 68% of the people are around the mean. So, uh, you know, you, you can tell me how different you are because I'm interested in those nuances, but it's 
you know, what we're talking about here, you know, is human nature. And human nature trumps all. It, 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 you'll see uh, the same kind of behaviors, both good and bad, effective and in ineffective uh, across disciplines, whether like what you said is uh, business or sports or the military or, or the arts. The, the same things that catapult people to the highest levels of achievement are the same things that bring people down either due to inconsistency or lack of ethics. Human nature trumps all. So absolutely. Yeah. So, so when you tell me how different you are, tell me how your nature is different. That, yeah. That's, that's really the follow up questions. And I haven't really gotten any responses. <laughs> from that. I got, geez, I can't imagine why not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, as you're saying this, this is unrelated, but it sparks this example I read a while back. I think we put it in the book. I, For some reason, I looked up, I'm not an athlete, and I just wanted to look up how somebody skateboards, you know, in a skateboard park, there's a bowl, right? Mm -hmm. And I cannot do this, but I was reading because it's the internet and people have written how-to recipes on everything. Yeah. How do you drop into a bowl? Oh, I also have a little fear of heights, Mr. Former Air Force. Um, and so I just read. I can join you now. I have a fear of heights myself. Well, a bowl well, is about really more of a fear deep. of falling. That's really yeah, that would be. So when I read, I was just fascinated to read this. Somebody wrote an article with a detailed set of instructions how to drop into a bowl on a skateboard. You take you take the back edge of the board, it's planted on the lip with your back foot. Mm -hmm. The rest of the skateboard's out over thin air. All your weight's on your back foot. You put your front foot facing forward, okay? And one of the steps in there is, it's the point of no return. And it is where 100% of you, 100% of your weight must go straight down, you know, mm -hmm. starting with your head. <laughs> and, and you are just dropping into space. Now, granted, academically, intellectually, it's only five feet. Okay, mm -hmm. but but the point that the author made that I thought fascinating is if 99% of you goes in, you're going to fall. Mm -hmm. It's literally that all of you must fall and that's the way you're going to come out at the bottom. Okay, I thought this is a great metaphor for life. It also just proves yet another form of genius, which is it ain't me. And it certainly isn't most of the leaders I know, but it is something at which like let's just appreciate more of 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 the qualities that people have that is just vast and diverse and can be celebrated yeah and i think that's where a lot of people get hung up uh upon their evaluations of people is that they're looking at differences primarily as weaknesses and not as strengths and how they can be applied uh in, in a unique way to solve you know, unique problems. Yes. So it, it's that it's that personal bias that people have. Uh, one of the psychologists we interviewed, he said, you have to be spiky. And what he meant is you look at this range of traits needed on a team mm -hmm. within an organization. No one has everything. Mm -hmm. But to contribute, to be accretive to the team, you have to be spiky. You have to show this marked ability in one or two things. And you can be a great contributor contributor to a team. And it applies to the leader as well. 
And, and what you have is a lot of leaders of teams who are not actually all that accretive to the team. It, they're not spiky in a particular way, which is different from everybody else. This is part of what we were, what, what we try to get at with this concept of leadership style. Okay. And so, yeah, as an educator, I'm, this is the question I'm, that, that comes to my mind first. Are these leadership styles acquired or are they innate? It's a great question. Uh, I know we're going to go through the four. If I can give you an example of two right now, um, a lot of this at this point is anecdotal. You and I were talking before we started recording that we've launched a leadership assessment, a free tool mm -hmm. to get validity, to get statistical validity behind this. The four leadership styles are fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. In the book, we call it FABS, F-A-B-S. The, the assessment that's coming out is called FABS Leadership Assessment. Okay, Fixer, as the name implies, is the leader who is drawn to turnaround the person who likes continually running into a burning building. The, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the makeup of fixer as leader tends to be that early in career, this person is a good performer. They're just doing great. Their performance is not that differentiated, right? They're young. Mm -hmm. And somebody says, you know, Stephen's a really sharp guy, and we have a problem over in Singapore, or we've got a problem with this client, or we got a problem with this division. No one else is solving it. He's a smart guy. Let's see what he can do. And so Stephen goes off to Singapore, or he goes into the client, and he fixes it. And it takes three months, a year, two years, but it was unsolvable for everybody else. <laughs> and he nails it. Stephen nails it. And Stephen gets this adrenaline rush like mm -hmm. you can't believe and he needs to do it again and that's how we distinguish fixer <laughs> excuse me which is it is this repeat need that develops through a kind of discovery at work which is oh i'm good mm -hmm. at putting out fires and i need to keep doing this yeah that's that's called a positive addiction and the same way in that that negative addictions uh, manifest uh you know you take a drug and then uh, the reward pathway is stimulated and then dopamine is released and then the addict needs more and more they you know they say well what did i just do how do i how, how did i do it and how can i do it again All right yeah. well on the positive addiction it's exactly the same way except that the neurons uh, the, uh, the neuron receptors aren't glazed over meaning that you need more and more of the drug but the exact same thing came, comes over is that, yeah, I'm, you know, as a fixer, I'm really good at this and I get a lot out of this. I get a rush, right? Because that's the dopamine being released. And so how can I do it again? They, and so they continually search for problems. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you how I first got alerted to this, Stephen, which was we, we did a book before Right Leader. It was called How They Did It. And it was this series of a lot of Q&A interviews with champion company founders. And out of the blue, one of the these champion founders, Jim Dolan, he said during the interview, he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my businesses and it's not broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, that's brilliant. I didn't ask you anything about that, but it stuck with me for years. Yeah. And, and it was like, 
And, and all of the fixers, so we did a lot of interviews with executives for the book. We interviewed psychologists, tons of leaders, and, and all the fixers we interviewed, I thought, they're really going to hate this. But we would ask all of them, we say, try this quote out. And to a man and woman, the, the response would be, what's the matter with that? That it needs to be broken. I'm like, that's a fixer answer. Yeah, <laughs> that these other styles do not think the same way as you. No, no. So, they're they're constantly looking for change. They're you know stability yeah. bores them, and they and they just want that 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 sense of change. And because if yeah. there isn't any change, then there's nothing to fix. So to give you a contrast, artist leadership style. The artist leader sees, excuse me, the world as a blank canvas or as a piece of clay to be molded or remolded. There are standout examples in the world. Everyone knows Elon Musk. Um, artist is what we call a compelled style, which is to say at risk of career, money, fame, fortune, artist is, is a style that is compelled to create. Mm -hmm. um, Elon in a way is a good positive and negative example because the positives, Tesla, and um, SpaceX and the Boring Company is incredibly inspiring guy. But at the same point, he he shoots from the hip and makes an offer to buy Twitter that he then backs out of. He's constantly battling with the SEC over what he can and cannot say. He was deposed in a court case about a year ago, and he said he, he despised the CEO role. Mm -hmm. He would far rather just be involved in, in engineering and design, but this is the way the world is. And if he was going to get the companies he wants, so so even someone at, at those heights, it's it, there is this compulsion to create, and it tends to be that the artist leader on the team is the renegade, the outsider, the discounted. Mm -hmm. uh, we interviewed one guy, <clears throat> one executive's name is Avram Miller. And Andy Grove, he was his right hand, Andy Grove's right hand man at Intel, right? Andy Grove was a phenomenal uh, leader of Intel for many years. And what Andy Grove said of Avram is, he said, you have to have a wild duck on your team. And he meant the person who you do not like. He doesn't, he's not a yes man or woman. He's not agreeing with everything. Everyone is saying he is disagreeable. He comes up with these ideas that are brilliant, discontinuous, laughed at, and you need that. Mm -hmm. And 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 so that artist leader is we we think more of this compulsion that it comes kind of wired in, wired in. It's not really something that it's like they get on the job. Someone teaches them to be creative. That's not really the way they are. It's it's at risk mm -hmm. of everything else that they must do this. Yeah, but it seems like they naturally challenge the status quo, where the fixer, the status quo has already been broken. Right. So, it, right. and I'm not saying that the the artist is trying to break anything, but they're going to challenge it and then reconfigure it to something that they can see. The thing about artists and, and whether they're musicians or studio artists, um, you know, or 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 uh, artists as leaders and business artists, is that they just see the world differently. You know, it's their perception of the world 
that 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 enables and empowers them to see things in a way that nobody else sees them. Uh, and then based on their ability to influence, then maybe they, you know, maybe can really have something. Yeah, it, it's it, this is subtle and nuanced, but it's much more that the fixer is coming from utter crisis mm -hmm. and likes that. Yeah. And views it as an advantage. You know, one of the fixers we we featured in a major way. He said, he said, crisis is a great thing because everyone can tell there's a crisis, and so you get a new rule. You you get this new playbook from the board, which will allow you to do things that other times they would never do it. Mm -hmm. The artist, there's there's much more with the artist, which is it's just from their point of view stagnation. What is the status quo? Doesn't necessarily have to be in crisis at all for the artist. It just has to be that it's the status quo, mm -hmm. and and that's good enough for 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 throwing the Molotov cocktail around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> break it, and we'll fix it later. Yeah. Well, what was that thing that uh, Facebook and Zuckerberg? Yeah, Zuckerberg said. Mark Zuckerberg go, said, you know, "Go fast and break things." Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it works. It works when you are. Uh, when you're starting up, it's it's a little tougher at three or four billion uh, members. But in some ways, the ethos of it is is very healthy. Google, as a contrast, you know, they're 25 years on as a company. They're mm -hmm. not a they're not a youngster anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet, what is the number one form of revenue and earnings for Google? It is still advertising. Mm -hmm. It's search. Mm -hmm. And it's a massive business. It's the same thing from 25 years ago, just perfected. Yeah. And I think that model is probably a little scary to Zuckerberg that that, that represents a form of, it's success, mm -hmm. but there's a form of kind of just going along with it because it's a monopoly, mm -hmm. at least so far. Well, from from what the, from what the kids tell me, is that Facebook is for people like you and me. Right. It's yeah. not really for, for the younger people. So I think Well, he did he he did do a brilliant move. You, his business hat buying Instagram for a billion dollars um was has to be viewed as one of the best acquisition decisions uh, in a long time and absolutely prescient that uh uh that he did that. And in some antitrust environments now, who knows if he if he would have been able to do it, but it was a brilliant move. Yeah, well, it leveled out his demographics, that's for sure. So, okay. All right, so what, what comes after artist? Fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. Builder. Builder, <clears throat> builder is the leadership mindset that has market. Their mantra is market. And it, it really, market domination is on the brain for the builder. Now I know everybody in business is, I'm a builder. Here, wait, I've said this to you before. I'm a builder. Yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> I get that. I get that. We mean a definition of builder, which is the repeat ability to take small product, company, service, and achieve scale. The builder typically, once scale has occurred, they're bored. And they will exit to do it again. You see this in organizations where they hit an IPO 
and the founder or the CEO, whoever it is, rightly says, peace out. It's just not the same thing when you're a dominant. It doesn't have to be at world scale, though. I've spent a lot of time in Boston, and in Boston, there is the best bakery. It's called Tate, T-A-T-T-E, free ad for the bakery. <laughs> and there's a builder somewhere there because they have a mindset, which is they are going to dominate Boston. It is the best, personally, I think it's the best in terms of quality, and they've got Boston covered. And I have never seen them in any other city. Huh. That is builder mindset right there, which is, which is, this is our market and we are going to crush it with this market. Yeah. All right. But so they're always building, but they're building upon a foundation. Yeah. The, this is not necessarily the same thing as entrepreneurship. Uh, right. Most builders in the world, in, in the business world, Excuse me. They're taking something from nascent from from not large to large. At large corporations, this could be somebody where they say, we got this little division here. It's never really done much. And can you be the person to build the team? Builder is always concerned with system, people, and process. It's not just a it's not just a question of entrepreneurial, like I've got a great product or whatever. They're always concerned with establishing systems and process that will lead to being able to scale up a product or service. So as opposed to the artist and uh, fixer, they they require a little bit more regimentation. They need some structure. And they will impose it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They will impose it. The fourth style is strategist. Mm -hmm. And to give a contrast with builder, if the builder is building a building the strategist is building the town the strategist is building the roads the infrastructure strategist is the leader at scale stephen covey you know wonderful the the author of seven habits uh he he had this phrase of personal span of control fixer artist and builder tend to be leadership styles that express within a personal span of control 50 employees, 20 employees, 200 employees, but not a thousand employees. Mm -hmm. Strategist is a leadership style and ability at scale with complexity or size completely beyond personal span of control. Uh, you and I were talking a little before, one of the women we interviewed in the book, Dr. Janine Davidson, she'd been the undersecretary of the Navy. Um, uh, she <clears throat> attended the Air Force Academy. She's a, a tanker pilot and got her PhD. And now she's the president of Metropolitan State University. And talking to a strategist like that's interesting that, <clears throat> excuse me, she's looking at systems of systems. And you're, you're trying to influence at a level which is completely different from what somebody does when you have a team of 50. Mm -hmm. One of the other parallels, <laughs> excuse me, we have a uh, former president, Obama, and he said, he said, you know, if, if you can, you consider government like this huge ship, and if you move it one or two percent, initially, you see nothing. Mm -hmm. But over the course of time, you see that this, this course is changing. That's strategist. 
Okay. So the you can make the analogy that the builder is an architect, uh, but the strategist is a city planner. I think it's one way of looking at it. We we struggle. The word strategist could be replaced with conductor, pilot, quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but but relies upon those systems to create change, and it's a so so it seems yeah. like the language, Stephen, is very different. You know, yeah. some leaders are like, "Hey, I don't care if it's ten people or ten thousand. I can lead any." I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. The language and the whole ethos around these four styles, the strategist doesn't talk like the other styles. Strategists tend to rise in an organization over time. They tend to be cross-trained. They tend to have a lot of loyalty to an organization. They tend to express a lot of loyalty. There's always a component which is self-deferential around being mentored and mentoring. You don't hear that from fixers and artists and builders. You don't hear that it's in their playbook about gee, I'm so grateful to the organization and and they cross-trained me and mentored. No, 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 no. That's not their language. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, so obviously they all, you know, they have different skill sets uh, and they attend to different uh, problems, if you will. Uh, but it seems like that for, for a person to perform well is that they have to understand uh, when they get into it, what the freedoms are and where the boundaries are. And some are going to be more narrow, some are going to be more broad. And I would think that uh, these different leadership styles have to be able to identify those freedoms and barriers and and be, and, and be able to identify whether there's enough freedom or if the boundaries are strict enough for their, for their leadership style. With, with, I- you're you're so spot on. It's just, you know, uh, Maslow's line to the man with a hammer, the world appears as a nail, right? Well, so we've been working for five years on this idea of fixer, artist, builder, strategist. And so now I read about both great examples of leadership and screw ups. And, and sometimes this lens applies. And there, there's an example from the UK. There was the president of an of uh, the ferry company, P&O Ferries. They ferry people and goods, you know, across the, the channel and all of this. And, and the CEO decided to fire 800 people um, over a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, that's illegal. Never mind if it's moral, decent, kind, whatever, yeah. it's illegal. And so uh, some MPs, some members of parliament, immediately called some hearings. And the first question from the first MP was, uh, if I'm remembering this right, um, uh, are you just exceedingly stupid or, you know, did you intend to violate a law? Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry for digressing. It's just as soon as you talked about guardrails, it's interesting based on your style because there's a complete difference. So in strategist, for example, screwing up doesn't work. Maybe once, but the examples of major corporate executives um, generally one and you're done. As opposed to the artist style, for example, please, the more you mess up, the better. Um, we could keep going back to Elon Musk, but even looking, you know, Steve Jobs, remarkable mm-hmm. uh, leader, you know, at one point he flew a, a pirate flag over the building, the headquarters for the Macintosh team. I was like, what, what leader does that? 
who promotes the couple hundred people as this division and and says to the rest of Apple, the organization, you know, um, see you later. Uh, but but that leadership style is expected to fail. Totally different guardrails. Yeah. So how do you know when you got the right leader at the right time? How, how do you, you know, how do you fit that, you know, that, you know, to make sure that the uh, the circle goes in the circle, and the square goes in the square and the triangle goes in the triangle and the rectangle goes in the rectangle. How, how do you know? Because if, if they're, if you don't have the right, if you have the right leader, but it's the wrong time, they just won't fit. Right. Yeah. You're, I, I, I love your questions. I, I'm going to give you a couple different answers. The woo-woo answer <laughs> that we, we explore in the book is this idea of highest and best use. And I don't care if people don't like this. It was Jung or it was Freud who said, basically, you want to reduce life. It's love and it's work. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's what we've got as human beings is can we enhance love and can we find meaningful work, you, you know, that, that satisfies our soul's desire. And so this journey we're all on is, is I believe, the search to, to get to your highest and best use, which is never an arriving. I mean, because it's leadership. One day you're great and the next day you're a dog, no matter who you are mm-hmm. doing this. And so, so there's this process of self-discovery that has to go on. There is too much in business of, of complacency. I'll give you also one of the answers we had a set format for interviewing all of the executives quoted in the book. And we didn't want to bias them by saying fixer, artist, builder, strategist. We were first asking, why did you choose the career you chose? And how did this path go here and here and here? We're trying to discover that. We got to the point in the interview, each one of the interviews to say, this is the thesis. Mm-hmm. Fixer, artist, builder, strategist. And then a series of questions. Can you identify with one? Are we crazy? You know, if we're wrong, just tell us we're wrong. One of the leaders we interviewed, Michael Sonnenfeld, very successful in real estate, and he formed an organization called Tiger 21. Many people have heard of it. It's a wealth management. It's it's like a vestige for wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, we said the four. And Michael said, you know, he said, I was an investor in a company. And what this is making me think is when things were going really wrong, we had the greatest CEO. He said, you know, now I'm thinking about it. And when things started to go right, he wasn't such a great CEO anymore. Hmm. I thought that's what we're trying to get at, which is this discovery. Now, in that case, it was the owners or the board of a company that have a responsibility to look and to make sure that they have the right person in the right seat at the right time. Mm-hmm. The other obligation though, is from the point of view of the individual. I'll, I'll give you one more example if I'm not drawing on too long, which is Sheryl Sandberg. Sheryl Sandberg, when she signed up with Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, she said she was signing up for, I think she was quoted as a five-year tour of duty. She had come from Google. Facebook was 100 or 200 million in revenue. Um, 100 million people were signed up. Sounds big. In seven years, it was sitting at like 3 billion people, uh, 70,000 employees. 
she's got to be regarded for those first seven years as one of the most, the most remarkable CEOs of the modern era, truly. Mm -hmm. She stayed another seven years. What happened? She got dragged into the mud with Cambridge Analytica. Uh, they pivoted into Meta, which doesn't seem to float her boat. There was nothing about that. There were all kinds of public controversy. She did a great thing by writing the book Lean In, mm -hmm. but given her position where she was, relentless attacks. I, I think it was sexist. I think it was wrong. But part of it is, you know, she's a smart person. You wonder where her own sense of 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 self-discovery is the same as anybody else who derails, which is she stayed too long. Mm -hmm. Didn't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, she. So I, I would think that she was a builder. Would you would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Okay. So he, he did something which, even though it sounded great, had not yet achieved scale. Mm -hmm. And she crushed it. Yeah. So there are these, you know, uh, prodigies out there. And, you know, they get a shot, you know, like, you know, maybe late 20s, early 30s. Okay. And they crush it. Uh, but then the situation changes and that skill set isn't needed. Are they able to pivot to what the situation calls for? So let's say they were a, a fixer or a builder, but now, you know, after seven, 10 years, now it requires a strategist. Are there skills that they can acquire that will help them pivot from this point in their career to another point in their career? I, th this is still anecdotal, mm -hmm. you know, as we we're talking about before, we want to back this up with science. I believe at this point that most people arrive at a highest and best use that doesn't necessarily move much. I, for example, and to my peril, I'm an artist leader. I just, I'm, I'm creative off the charts and it's not always great. And thank God I'm surrounded with partners who are, more well-rounded and have the operational skill sets to actually make sure we have a great business, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are a few leaders. Fred Smith is the standout who comes to mind. He just retired after 51 years oh, wow. from founder of Federal Express, mm -hmm. but you can clearly see these cycles. He writes a paper in school on this concept of using an airplane um, to deliver- What's that? You got to see on it. Exactly. <laughs> he he goes through crises. You know, it's legendary. The story of him going to Las Vegas, gambling for the payroll. Um, he clearly reached scale. There's builder. And he arrived at strategist. He crossed all the bases. Mm -hmm. Totally not necessary for most leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to pigeonhole. Every leader is a combination of abilities, fixer, artist, builder, strategist. There's always creativity that comes into play. There's always solving crises. But the opposite, the Swiss Army knife approach of all things to all people, total bust. Total mm -hmm. bust. And so coming to highest and best use, I believe, always comes to embracing that you have this strong suit and that that's the thing you should double down within. 
and not keep on attempting to cover more and more ground. And so our observation, because of this business and having this ringside seat, is that successful leaders tend to reject more of what is not their highest and best use. And that takes time. That takes really going down your own path and hard experience. Easy to say, very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's almost like, you know, creating a brand. And, you know, if that's your brand, it's like, you know, look what happened to Coke when they came out with new Coke. <laughs> so, well, you know, psychological traits are... Um, are categorized in in two ways. They're categorized as personality traits, which are inherited and fairly stable. And then there's character traits, which are acquired and, you know, can be, you know, somewhat malleable. Uh, It seems like these are, you know, uh, more of the latter rather than the former. So, yes, people do develop these, uh, these traits uh, based on opportunities, based on experiences, uh, and then they hone those through those, you know, through those trials and tribulations. Uh, but I would think that somebody should not be afraid to look into, you know, if, at least when they've had some success, you know, possibly as a fixer or an artist that, well, maybe this situation requires me to be a builder or a strategist. And, you know, I really could use some growth. You know, they they can actually look at this as an opportunity to see, you know, to 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 expand their own skill sets. And I wonder, is that you know, have you you know, in in just in your uh, uh, in your experience, have you observed that where somebody can go from one to another uh, at different points of their career, just completely just for, just for growth needs? They can. I I also think that that for a lot of people they will have a dominant style and they could have a very strong secondary style that they also rely on. Um, this is part of what we hope to, to see proven out with the assessment. Um, some people, it's, it's less so. With, with me, I am so strongly driven in one particular style. The other styles don't play as much. I, because I'm an owner of a business, I deal with crises all the time. It totally doesn't turn me on. Um, I'm not seeking them out. I don't, there'd be no joy from helping another organization if it's in crisis saying, I'm the best person for you. Absolutely not. I mean, I could try to be helpful. Luckily, I have a business now where I'm not the operating executive going in, but I'm surrounded by phenomenal talent so that, you know, somebody showing up is like, absolutely, I can get a person the, the right executive parachuted in a day mm-hmm. um, but that comfort and realization for myself took many years to truly sink in that that was okay and that I was enough with just this crazy kind of bent towards towards creating things mm-hmm. was yeah. not it was not easy it, it, it was not uh uh, pleasant. It was painful, you know. Or earlier on my, in my career, I needed the money, and <laughs> this is what drives a lot of executives to the wrong decisions. Yeah, which is this feeling like they need it, mm-hmm. and and so they they'll make boneheaded moves like based on need. based on survival and fear. Yes. Yeah. 
That's why I say it's hard that, that I, I'm not trying to make light of this idea that great leaders reject what is not for their highest and best use. That's hard. You're turning down money. You're turning down opportunity. Mm -hmm. But this is what we see, you know, as one of the common traits among these fabs leaders. Yeah, but later on, they, uh, you know, th there's a sense of remorse that they're not growing, you know, either well, professionally or personally. There can be that. The, the opposite, though, is this doubling down, um, this kind of infinite. There can be a sense of that that once you hit on it, it can be infinitely rewarding. And it's not necessarily that it's so narrow that you cannot you cannot have any breath to it at, at all. Uh, I think there is a sense of increasing accomplishment. You know, what, one thing that came to my mind is that, you know, if a fixer gets stuck in a builder mode or a strategist is forced to become an artist, I would think that their stress levels would go through the roof is that they're pulling from energy pools much, much faster and more inefficiently than when they are actually in their right mode at the right time. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. One of the psychologists we interviewed, Dr. John Bear, he said, he said that that works right up to the point when it breaks. Yeah. It's just you can you can do that for a bit. And when necessity calls, sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to what uh, Shakespeare, which was to thine own self be true. And yeah. thus it follows the night to day thou canst be false to no man. And it's just. All right. Give it a shot for spinning yourself and see how it works. And and, you know, hopefully it's not a, it's a temporary thing and you don't have to sustain that, you know, because part of the other, one of the other common traits, there are three things we think FABS leaders have in common. The second is they're collaborating on steroids right. and collaboration is an easy word. Everyone says, oh, I'm a great collaborator. Well, it turns out the majority of executives, they're not actually great collaborators because they're fueled by insecurity. When you're fueled by insecurity, God help you if you don't look like you are expert at everything you do. Well, truly being accretive to a team, um, to being productive is 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 this idea that you will not try to be all things to all people. The, the third commonality um, is we call it in the book no hiding. Um, that great leaders don't hide. One of my favorite examples is uh, Wells Fargo. They used to have this process of cross selling. And it turned out it was just a sham opening up millions of accounts. Um, people that never wanted these new accounts, you know, they had a bank account, they give them a credit card. <clears throat> it was the primary metric. The CEO used to get on quarterly earnings calls, talk about we're cross-selling, we're increasing all that. Turned out to be a sham. And he gets up in the Senate, he gets called in front of the Senate. <clears throat> and they're saying, so, you know, what about all these uh, calls for years on end, every quarter cross-selling, and you're taking all the credit for it. And, and, you know, what about, and they were all sham accounts. What about that? And he said, well, it wasn't me. It, it was the board. <laughs> okay. You, you could be in business one year and understand it's not the board's responsibility, the board in terms of governance and, and thankfully looking at when you throw out a CEO. Yes. But please, Please. There was, there was, that was 
attempting to hide in plain sight. And luckily that CEO was banned from banking uh, afterwards, uh, banned for life, but that that's hiding. Yeah, okay. Well, Bob, this has been really insightful. So what, what, why don't you answer me this? Was, you know, what do you do to relax or you know, how do you celebrate? I love that question. I it, we're 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 here doing this in in my uh, my little office. If we were at home, I've been painting uh, fine arts acrylic painting for uh, thirty plus years. I find this is the artist coming out in all ways. Mm -hmm. I finally have kind of a gallery show going on in Chicago right now. It only took thirty years and um, slow learner, but um, yeah, I, I get this incredible energy out of uh, color. And I, it, it's almost a need now that I have to paint. I do. Well, I, I got to tell you, I think it's just a great outlet. I wish I had that aptitude, whether it's, uh, you know, studio art or music. Uh, I, I think it's just a great, <clears throat> healthy, effective outlet that, you know, that people like yourself have. So uh, how can people contact you, Bob? Thanks, Stephen. Uh, they can reach me at interimexecs.com. Uh, and you just spell out the word interim, the word execs, interimexecs.com. And that'll that'll get to me. Terrific. Well, I've been speaking with uh, Robert Jordan, the author of Right Leader, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career. Thank you so much, Bob. This has been uh, re really uh, uh, thought-provoking, and I really hope uh, uh, people out there uh, go out and read your book. I think it will do them a, a world of good, because I think a lot of people uh, you know, just need a sense of awareness uh, as far as you know what their strengths are. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been an honor. All right. All right, everybody. This has been the uh, uh, the X Factor, uh, the podcast for leaders uh, by leaders. And we will see you next time.